0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, episode 44.
1: This is Writing Excuses, recording publishing with Tom Doherty at Gen Con.
2: 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry.
0: And we're not that smart.
2: I'm Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Howard.
0: <laughs> I'm Mary. Uh, Dan's in Germany,
1: but we have Tom Doherty. Hey. Tom Doherty is the publisher, founder, and president of Tor Books, um, a little company you may have heard of that is also the largest and best publisher of science fiction and fantasy in the world. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you. So, we have had many luminaries on our podcast before, but I don't ever think we've had someone of Tom's stature. Um, and. So it is a real, true pr- privilege to have you on, Tom. Thank you.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure, pleasure and a privilege to be here.
1: Now, I'm just going to start throwing questions at you that I think our audience is going to want to hear. Because as I said, told you earlier, most of them are new writers or are m- maybe journeyman writers. Um, would you explain to them what a publisher does and how it's different from an editor?
3: Yeah, uh, a publisher sets the uh, direction for the editors to look. A publisher is kind of like a general manager that the editors work with to formulate a publishing program. And uh, you know, I will uh, read, uh, I you know, I, I used to read every book we published, and I just can't, can't do it anymore, but I try and read every author. And I'm pretty good about reading at least one book from an author, and I often read many books from an author, but uh, boy. I'm always behind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, it's that's, that's very rare that the publisher is reading all the books or even some of the books. Um, when I first sold the tour, um, I, I think I've told you guys this story before, I, um, I got my editor's notes, and then Tom Doherty's notes on the book came in. Just a few oh, wow. comments here, in, uh, and, and I'm like, Tom Doherty read my book and gave feedback? <laughs> um, and it was really good feedback? And my, uh, my editor's like, this doesn't happen to a lot of publishers, just so you know. Um, Tom, do you hire the editors? Yeah. Um, How do you pick an editor? Well, you
3: know, there's several ways that you, uh, several things you bring to it. You look, often the editor has worked in the field and you look at the books they've published and you read some of the books that they've published and you try and decide, does this fit into what you see as the direction Tor or Ford should be moving? And, you know, when I started tour I said we were going to do science fiction. Uh, we do more than that now, but we were going to do science fiction past, present, and future. So uh, we found that uh, some things didn't sell as well if they were published as science fiction. As for example, we got a series with Mike and Kathy Gere and their husband and wife, archaeologist, anthropologist. And the series is uh, people of uh, the lakes, the river, how people came to the base of the Great Lakes, how people came to the Mississippi River Valley, you know, how the first people came across the Bering Straits uh, at the end of the last, last, last ice age and moved down the front flank, moved across Canada and down the front flank of the Rockies and moved south Beyond the Rockies and into Mexico and south into South America, so uh, we thought that was science fiction. But if we presented it as science fiction, it limited the market for that kind of book.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: When you looked forward, we found that uh, Michael Crichton was doing things. Andromeda Strain was uh, there was a field developing called techno thriller, mm-hmm. and if we published certain what we used to think of as near-future hard science, science fiction. If we published that as techno-thriller, we sold more.
1: Yeah, and that, that was a brand new thing, like mm-hmm. back, in the, um, back in the 90s and whatnot. I remember yep. when Michael Crichton started really getting big. Yep. Uh, it was kind of mind-blowing because this is science fiction, but
2: everybody's reading it. Exactly. <laughs> I, remember reading it I remember reading it and thinking, why wasn't this shelved with science fiction? You know fiction? what? It or, was in my bookstore, but no. it was also shelved other places.
1: Tom, I, I want to kind of focus this yeah. a, a lot on the new writers. Now that we've kind of just established, I mean, you've been in this business for a long time. You really know your stuff. <laughs> Since um,
3: 57. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's fun, fun to go to New York. I, I went to Tom's office once and he pointed all the buildings that he'd worked in over his career. And they're all like in a couple block radius of one another. Um, Tom, what, um, uh, what advice can you give to new writers? Specifically, like writing-wise, like if if someone's trying to break in right now and they they just really want to be, let's say they want to be published by Tor, what pieces of advice can you give them? Okay, don't write to fashion. Write from your
3: heart. Write the things you care about. And I would say, uh, go, when you're submitting it and you're entirely unknown, go look at the books that you've read and try and find out who edited the things that you think would appeal, your book would appeal to. Because you know, you can have many good editors, they they have different tastes. And if you send it even in the right house to the wrong editor, it may get rejected. Look at who is doing books in the same vein as what you're doing. Uh, At Tor, uh, any editor can put his name in the front of the book, edited by. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but often you'll find an editor's name. But you can always call up Tor, and we will always tell you who edited the book. Mm. And this, uh, I think, is is probably a, a basic important guidance for somebody who wants to get the book creatively read.
1: You know, I've, I've noticed specifically for Tor, um, Tor, being such a big house, has a lot of editors. Um, and it seems like I've, always, I've often told people that Tor has less um, of a specific editorial slant. You know, like if you go to some publishers, like Bain, you know what a Bain book is. But a Tor book is any good book, right? By the way, I'm
3: a partner in Bain, too, so. (laughs) um,
1: And so really, I feel like at Tor, particularly, you need to know your editors, because what what Moshe is going to be interested in is so different from what Patrick Nielsen Hayden is going to be interested in. Exactly, Mm exactly. That's my point. OK.
0: Um, Let's go ahead and stop for
2: our book of the week this week. Howard, did you have our book of the week? Um, Well, uh, one of the best-selling books right now for Tor is a 1985 book, Ender's (laughs) Game, by Orson Scott Card. Um, Fantastic book. You've probably all heard of it. Movie coming out, which has a lot to do with the uh, increased interest in the book. I loved the book when I first read it. I loved it when I read it 10 years later, and I'm looking forward to loving it again. And you can pick it up at uh, Audible. Head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a 14-day free trial membership, get Ender's Game for free, and then pick up another fine tour title for half off. Excellent.
3: Um, it, you know, it, it was it's so rare that you see a book number one on the New York Times bestseller list Published 28 years ago.
0: (laughs) And it was (laughs) number one last week, right? Last
3: week and this week. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Awesome. So let's say um, we do have some people who um, uh, listen to our podcast who actually are more interested in the editorial side. Can you give advice to someone, let's say they want to be a tour editor um, and they're just getting ready to go to college or something like that. What advice would you give them? How do you become an editor?
3: Well, again, uh, the way you become an editor really... uh, it's kind of old-fashioned, you apprentice. <laughs> you know, often we get college interns who then we hire as assistant editors, who then we promote to associate editors, who then we promote to editors, and uh, they tend to be people who know what we do, who have read a lot of our books and are sympathetic to those kind of books and want to do somewhat similar books. You know, not the same, of course, but books in the same vein. And so they come, they work with us. Almost all our editors, we don't recruit outside very much. Uh, We like to uh, have kind of homegrown people who wanted to be there and who can feel
1: that if they come in out of college can get promoted. Do um, Do you find a lot of those at the New York editing programs from the colleges there?
3: Well, it's, uh, some come from the New York editing programs, but we really, we've gotten them from all around the country. I mean, it's liberal arts colleges. We, we hired one from uh, Amherst this year, one uh, Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know my editor uh, came a very strange route. He was editor of the Science Fiction Book Club and wanted to move into an acquisitions editor position. And so he came in and became, actually took a pay cut to become a, an apprentice, like you said, an assistant yep. editor, assistant to David Hartwell for, uh, for several years. Yep.
0: Yeah, my editor also went the assistant route. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liz Gorinsky started yes. as Patrick Nielsen Hayden's assistant and then worked her way out.
1: So Tom, um, I'm sorry, I'm just plying you with question after question, yeah. but while we've got you for these last few minutes, um, what's a publisher's perspective on eBooks? How they're changing the market and, and what, you, what your opinion is on them? Well you know the ebooks are wonderful the problem the problem really is the lack
3: of retail space because uh, we've lost Walden we've lost dalton uh, you know we've we've lost uh, in the magazine wholesaler uh, area we used to start a lot of authors with distribution in mass market paperbacks that went into they used to have a hundred thousand retailers now none of those retailers were significant in and of themselves but we found that if we could put a book in a drugstore and somebody waiting for a prescription who had no intention of buying a book so the people that come to the big box stores or the people who go online tend to know what they're looking for it's not a good place to browse really uh, online and the big box is fine to you know to uh, browse but it's a special trip but the people that used to walk down the mall aisle to buy a pair of shoes or a sweater and saw books and walked in and bought them the people waiting for a prescription you know who saw a book and bought it the people going to a supermarket you know for a pound of coffee and saw a book and bought it these people didn't tend they tended to be less heavy readers and when we found, we found that when we satisfied them often enough in an impulse situation, they began to be heavy readers and go into the big box stores and go online and order more, but we captured them in impulse situations. And this is, this is our challenge. Now the internet is wonderful for the backlist. Because once a person decides that they want an author, uh, it's a very easy place to get extensive backlist more than would normally be carried in a retailer but it's a terrible place to browse for a new author you just you know you can't see the forest for the trees so it's good in many ways and it's it's a problem in other ways
1: yeah it seems like um, I, I actually I think I've spoken on the podcast about this before it feels like this is a Better, it's been really good for established authors in a lot of ways. Yes, exactly. Someone like myself, um, uh, my backlist just sells crazy numbers. But the brand new author getting discovered seems way harder, and that seems like it's dangerous for the entire genre Mm -hmm. because you can't. You know, the genre needs this refreshment of the new authors coming in, and and, uh, that this scares me a bit.
3: Brandon, you're exactly right. That's the problem. I mean, there's a great benefit to eBooks. But there's a great problem, too, because it has taken business away from the retailer, and we've lost all these impulse locations.
1: So um, you have kind of watched, I mean, you founded Tor in early the early 80s? Yeah, I
3: actually, uh, I founded it, uh, it became a corporation in 79. We okay. shipped our first book in 80. You, you don't ship a first book that... First day you, pub- you right. become a publisher,
1: and you were before that at Ace Books, which was primarily a science fiction and fantasy imprint, right? Well, I really
3: had a pretty good background in science fiction and fantasy because I had kind of grown up with Simon and Schuster in sales. So I was sales manager for Ian and Betty Ballantine when they launched the very first science fiction line, when they launched the first fantasy line, when they hired Judy Lynn Del Rey from, uh, you know, from uh, Galaxy and brought her in and taught her books. Betty did this. You know, I was the sales manager. Launch Tolkien, you know, Anne McCaffrey's Pern. And they were very generous with their time. They're lovely people.
1: So you've kind of watched um, like the dominance of SF, like the, the, the classic kind of Silver Age SF, yeah. and then the kind of rise of the, the dystopian SF and the cyberpunk, and then epic fantasy basically taking over the market. Yeah. do you have any kind of perspective on what's happening right now and what's going on or what the trends what what what's going on in science fiction okay. and fantasy
3: the problem with trends <laughs> people perceive them as opportunity and uh... authors will often rush into areas that they they don't really have a heart for and a lot of mediocre books get produced and then people say oh i guess i don't like that category as well as i thought i did <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said you know the first thing is do what you love and uh, don't do it because it's perceived as popular what really
1: counts is how good is the book
0: yeah there's a saying in puppet theater that the only competition is a bad puppet show
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah. awesome Tom thank you so much for being on the podcast we really appreciate you thank you audience for listening in this has been Writing Excuses oh. we need a writing prompt we need a writing prompt we do oh dear Tom, would you be capable of telling the uh, listeners what they should write if they need a writing prompt? <laughs> I, I thought I just did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Here. I, I, can, I can make a writing prompt for you out of that. Write a story about a publisher trying to predict the next trend and the piece of technology he's using to try to predict it.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Okay. This has been Ryan Excuses, you're out of excuses. Now go right. <laughs> Thank you
0: all. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction.